couple items I bring before you. Um, uh, the first is I want to continue to encourage you, brothers and sisters, to press in to Lakewoods 111, where we are committing as a church body to gather once a month in a small group. We are committing to serve once a month and to have one spiritual invitation a month, whether it's to consider Jesus or in your home or at your church. And an easy one is tonight. Uh, invite someone. I've invited a couple uh, to consider joining us tonight as we have a choir come and sing about God's great work and uh, the lives of men in our area. And I've been really encouraged. I've had several conversations in the last few weeks of people really seeking to gather as small groups. And there are all kinds of Bible studies starting in people's homes. And uh, I would encourage you, brothers and sisters, to build relationship. If you desire for there to be some kind of study, grab two people and start it with them and uh, help each other walk this dangerous journey of the Christian life. Well, it is good uh, to worship with you this morning, brothers and sisters. We continue our series in the book of Job. And allow me just a, a short recap of where we've, been, uh, where we've been thus far. Job, Job is the best man in the East, full of life and faith and family and even fortune. Unknown to him, unknown to him, are spiritual realities at work. The accuser, Satan, has challenged God and questioned God's promises, God's work, and God's relationship with his people. God points to Job. And Job's life becomes evidence A as God defends his glory and allows terrible suffering. Job loses nearly everything except his life and his wife. His wife is struggling with faith as our man Job tries to point her to God. Job, he, he needs people. He needs the comfort of community, and his three loyal friends make appointment to rock back and forth with him in silence and in pain. If you haven't already, I'll ask that you grab a copy of the scriptures and turn to Job 3, and our sermon title is The Cry of Pain, and let me just get right to the point. The main idea that I would submit to our hearts this morning is simply this. Faithful followers of Christ cry out. You may appreciate that as you yourself have cried out in the past or are currently doing so. I suspect, though, there are a great number of us who may take issue or temperamentally don't want to cry out. It's not proper. That's just what emotional people do. Here's how one writer suggests that we miss something in the language of Scripture. Quote, Here it would not be out of place to take a moment to express some concern with the practice of some of our most popular Bible translations, which seem to pre pre uh, perpetuate something of a British stiff upper lip 
through a well-mannered and well-intentioned censorship of the Bible. Where emotions run high in the original language, translators may tend to restrain them. The result can give the impression that our God and that our gospel are lacking in passion and reality when that is not the case. This tendency can be seen in some of the ways of the language of Job has been smoothed over in various translations. So this writer would also point out to not just the language of Job, but what we'll read, uh, it, not just Job 3, but, but even the quoted words of Jesus. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So this writer continues and says, When it is time for his howl on the cross, the words of Psalm 22 do not proceed from his lips as a simpering sigh, but as a gasping scream. You see, my friends, the testimony of Scripture, yes, somewhat neutered and tamed in our English translations, is the depiction of the realness of this world. Even faithful followers like Job, like you and I, Jesus himself, cry out. It may be an urgent prayer, sobbing with tears and snot running down your face, screaming desperately, or the silent scream that never leaves our lips but weighs heavy on our chest. Our broken world, our unexplainable circumstances, our secret sin, it will cause us to cry out. So consider with me Job 3 as we hear his cry. First, we have the lament, take me before. Would you read with me verses 1 through 10? After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, Let the day perish on which I was born, and the night that said a man is conceived. Let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor light shine upon it. Let gloom and deep darkness claim it. Let clouds dwell upon it. Let blackness of the day terrify it. That night, let thick darkness seize it. Let it not rejoice among the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. Behold, let that night be barren. Let no joyful cry enter it. Let those Curse it who cursed the day, who are ready to rouse up Leviathan. Let the stars of its dawn be dark. Let it hope for light, but have none, nor see the eyelids of the morning. Because it did not shut the doors of my mother's womb, nor hide trouble from my eyes. As the description says in verse 1, These verses are formed as a curse, a very poetic curse, a curse against the day of his birth. Our man Job doesn't curse God as the accuser had predicted, 
in chapter 1. But after pointing his wife to trust in God, after sitting in ashes for seven days, Job opens his mouth finally, and we're all shocked. But not really. To this point, Job has managed to hold his tongue, encourage his wife, and sits in the silence of deep pain and moaning. His steadfastness has been remarkable. But we wonder, will he now curse God? Will Satan be proved right and God be shown a liar? Will Job hang on to his faith? And so the silence ends. And as one has said, it was no simpering sigh. It is the gut-wrenching howl of a man in pain, knocked down by grief and overwhelmed by anxiety. Such outbursts are hardly dignified, but then a man in such a state has little thought for his dignity. So we hear brokenness, honesty, and words loaded with anger, regret, and pessimism. Job cries out, take me before. You should have taken me before I was born. Among academic types, there is a measure of debate and intrigue in these verses. This cry seems to point to other historical narratives and themes of the Old Testament. God said, let there be light in Genesis 1. Job now says, let there be darkness in verse 4. And this theme of darkness in verse 5 and 6 and 7 and 9. Many, like Sarah, Hannah, and others in the Old Testament, they cried out and asked for barrenness and infertility to be healed. Job, on the other hand, called for God to reverse his birth and wished his mother had herself been barren. Many of us can identify with this language. Circumstances loom large. God seems far off. The weight on your chest is unbearable, and you say, Take me before, God. Take me away before I'm born. Take me away before it hurts. This is a common plea, even for faithful followers of Christ. Take me away before. Take me away before the Vikings lose this afternoon. That's silly, but the more serious-minded of us would say this. Take me away before the pain of cancer comes. Take me away before the pain of Alzheimer's sets in. Take me away before the pain of miscarriage is confirmed. Take me away before the pain of financial ruin is complete. Take me away before the pain of the loss of my reputation is widespread. Take me away before the pain of loneliness occurs at school. Take me away before the pain of awkwardness and strain in relationships appears. 
You see, we sit here this morning, brothers and sisters, as spectators, outside spectators, knowing about the heavenly court meeting that happened in chapter 1, knowing that Satan has accused God, knowing that Job's life has been leveraged for God's glory, and knowing that not only that God allowed it, but he stopped and restrained Satan from taking his life. Like us, Job is unaware. He's unaware. He's left with only curses for the day he was born. His outburst is understandable for us. But to him, it's simply the only reasonable thing for a desperate man to do. Curse and scream. Our man Job doesn't simply curse the day of his birth, though. He doesn't just say, take me before. He says, take me early. Continue reading with me in verses 11 through 19. Why? Why did I not die at birth, come out from the womb and expire? Why did the knees receive me, or why the breast that I should nurse? For then I would have lain down and been quiet. I would have slept. Then I would have been at rest. With kings and counselors of the earth who rebuilt ruins for themselves. Or or with princes who had gold and filled their houses with silver. Or why was I not hidden? A hidden stillborn child as infants who never see the light. There the wicked cease from troubling. And there the weary are at rest. There, the prisoners are at ease together. They hear not the voice of the taskmaster. Small and great are there, and the slave is free from his master. Now, the lingering question is asked. Why? Why, God? It's asked six times. In Job's cry, why? Why was I not taken early in life? Why didn't my fragile life expire long before this moment? Why couldn't my mother have simply neglected me so I could have slept and gone on with others who've been before me? Death seems better than life, so why couldn't that have been arranged sooner? Why not take me early? The transition from cursing his birth to now asking why questions reveals the real desire of his heart. We read them. What does Job desire? Verse 13. Quiet, sleep, and rest. Verse 14. Comfort among others. Verse 17, weariness brought to rest. Verse 18, ease. Verse 19, freedom. Job here expresses all the things pertaining to what he knew of death that he thought would make it appear to be a better option than life. Like Job, 
when our lives are in such turmoil and suffering, when the mysterious workings of God are just beyond our comprehension, when we don't have answers to all the why questions, when we don't have sleep or rest or ease or freedom in this life, we, like Job, cry out and say, take me early. And there is certainly some overlap in wanting to be taken before you're born, before any kind of suffering can come. But when the day of your birth is declared, let there be light. When that day comes, that's when the questions come. If God takes you before, there is no life lived, no complicated circumstances, no pondering questions. We often cry, take me early, because like Job, we are presented with why questions. Many of which that cannot be answered. Why was I born this way? Why did my parents get divorced? Why does it seem that God and everyone else is against me? Why couldn't my life have played out differently? The unexplainable of life weighs heavy on our minds and souls, and the cry is often, take me early. Third, Job cries, take me quickly. Read with me verses 20 through 26. Why is light given to him? who is in misery, and life to the bitter in soul, who long for death, but it comes not, and dig for it more than for hidden treasures, who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they find the grave. Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For my sighing comes instead of my bread, and my groanings are poured out like water. For the thing that I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. More why questions. But key in on verse 21. Who long for death, but it comes not. As we mentioned last week, by this time, Job's friends arrive. It has likely been a month, months likely, that he's been in this condition. Every morning, waking up to a home, a fortune, and a family taken from him. Every day, being reminded that he will not see future weddings and grandkids. Every day, waking up with sores all over his body, scraping at them with a broken piece of pottery. And we don't know this, but perhaps every day waking up with a marriage relationship that's strained because the choppy waves of life are just continually above their head. He longs for death because the days are long. The nights are sleepless. And verse 26, he's not at ease He's not quiet. He's not restful. He's the reverse. Discontent, agitated, 
turbulence. There are times we may long for death and cry, take me quickly. Take me quickly when I'm given the medical diagnosis. Take me quickly when death takes my loved one. Take me quickly when I can't see how life can be joyful again. It should be noted what Job does do and what he doesn't. Job does curse, lament, question, express dark thoughts and battle the emotions of his heart and the perception of God in his mind. Job doesn't take his life. My friend, David Jackson, he doesn't know he's my friend, but I read his books, offers a helpful word. Quote, In expressing these desires, Job is being faithful. Let me say that again. His desires are that he would be taken. In expressing these desires, Job is being faithful. His faithfulness lies in the fact that he does not step outside the limits of God that God has placed on him. And so he does not do for himself what God will not do and take his life. It is a fine line between wanting to die to escape the pain and when God fails to act, taking one's own life. Such faith, such faith while expressing some shocking and horrible desires chooses the tougher way. It's a callous thing to hold yourself or hold others to the requirement that you will never think, say, or even ask in life, take me quickly. Those who bear the marks of suffering in their life may have had these same desires. And if you haven't, then that is God's grace and kindness to you. But prepare your heart now, because likely those times will come. If you have thought or spoken the words of Job, take me quickly. Then like Job, I would encourage you to choose the tougher and the brighter way. The deep, dark anguish of a man who longed for death was the same man who shared those dark desires with his friends and was transparent before God and others. Be of good courage. There is grace for you in those moments. A warning would simply be this. The ease, quiet, and rest of a soul battling deep, dark thoughts is not remedied by well-meaning sincerity, tough love, or dismissing comments. The ministry of your presence and the life-giving words of Christ and his gospel are what the weary soul desperately needs. Which leads us to our final point. Take me instead. 
Now, up to this point, this has been a very nice Jewish sermon. But as Christians, we are forced to consider the book of Job through the lens of Christ. Thousands of years after Job cried, take me, these words, take me instead, would be cried out by a better Job the truly innocent sufferer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hear the cries of Jesus in a garden, knowing that pain and suffering were coming. My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. See, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Hear the cries of Jesus on a cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. My God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? I thirst. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It is finished. Job felt forsaken by God when his life was turned upside down and he screamed out, Jesus was forsaken by God, and Jesus screamed out. God cared so much for the suffering, pain, and sense of abandonment that his people have in this world, including you and I. He cared so much that he aimed to divinely work in such a way so that they would never be cast out, abandoned, or judged. The truly innocent sufferer, Jesus, came and he lived a better life than Job. Jesus was blameless, upright, feared God, and turned away from evil in a way that's never been seen, even by our best man. It was the perfect life because he is the perfect God-man and perfect Savior. And instead of Keeping that perfect life and resting in the benefits of it, Jesus cashed it in. He willingly took his life and became a curse on our behalf. 2 Corinthians 5 says that Jesus knew and personally experienced no sin, but took our sin on himself to pay the penalty, to pay the suffering, to pay the darkness that Job thought he wanted. It's called the great exchange. Jesus exchanged his place for ours. Jesus' death and resurrection is the good news for weary sufferers who are far off from God, asking all the why questions. The good news, the gospel, as you trust in it, as you cling to it, it changes you completely. God forgives your your, your sin, he, he restores you to himself. He lives in you so near, in fact, that you will never be abandoned, even in your suffering and your crying out. 
He graciously begins his great artistry and workmanship in you. As the power of the gospel not only saves you and promises you for a someday heaven, but makes you more like Jesus as you live as a faithful follower of Christ in the life that he's given you. Like Job, when we curse the day of our birth, when we scream, take me, when we ask the why questions of our circumstances, we've been given a person and a promise who said, take me instead. The who question has been settled. Jesus is the rescuer of broken souls and the one who presses in and comforts us when we cry out. So homework this week. Young people, kids, talk to your parents and cry out as you struggle with faith this week in the midst of school and friends and deep questions of life. Okay, kids? Adults, you're just as messed up. Press into your relationship, your relationships. Make time and make appointments like Job's friends did to be present. And cry to God yourself, especially if it's been a while. Seasoned saints. You, brothers and sisters, are likely in another season of crying out. Your advanced years means that you've done it a time or two. Keep crying out and press into us young folk. We need your friendship and your wisdom. Would you pray with me that this would be the case this week? Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, asking that you would show yourself to be near and powerful and comforting. Yes, we cry out, take me, when our circumstances loom large, but you graciously said, take me instead. So would you warm our hearts to rest in Christ? Would you enlarge our hearts to run after you? Would you help us to press into others who are in the midst of crying? Lord, would you remind us that like Job, we cry out with others around us. God, would your gospel in the good news of Jesus make us more like him? Would you help us this week to be faithful, to cry out, and to come along others? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.